You're listening to the Westminster Canterbury Tales podcast, creating community to foster joy and well-being. Thanks for listening. Today, um, this is Ben Frazier, and this is Tell Me a Story um, by Westminster Canterbury on the Chesapeake Bay. And we are delighted today to have Rosemarie Hughes with us, Dr. Rosemarie Hughes with us, who um, I think you're going to enjoy and has really some wonderful stories, but also... I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and spent the first 20 years of my life there. I graduated from Duquesne University in Pittsburgh with a major in elementary education. I got married six days after college graduation to a naval aviator, moved to Brunswick, Georgia, huge culture shock coming from Pittsburgh, (laughs) Pennsylvania. (laughs) And your whole life in Pittsburgh, and then you go there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea what a sack was. You want a sack with that? (laughs) I don't know what a sack is. Okay. (laughs) A paper bag. (laughs) Um, We moved around a lot. In the first 10 years of marriage, um, I lived in 10 different places and had four children. Lived on the East Coast, West Coast, Gulf Coast, um, it was a lot of moving around when one's in the training command and then different squadrons, Vietnam War, all those types of things wow. intervened. Yeah. So yeah. it was... Um, Sounds like a typical uh, military family. It, it a was. A lot of moving. It was. It was. Um, so that's kind of where I was. I have four sons. Uh-huh. Uh, my second son, Christopher, uh, is, uh, as it turned out, had special needs. I kind of knew this when he was born. But he was just a difference in my first child. And I could not get any, the doctors who delivered him would not even agree with me. Um, sort of poofed me off. Um, the pediatricians said, oh, there's nothing wrong. Don't worry about it. For three years, I took him to different pediatricians, none wow. of whom would believe me that this was a kid that, was, that needed some special help. He was 22 months when he learned to walk. Uh-huh. Way out of the ordinary, but sure. yet I was told I was a nervous mother. <laughs> um, and so we finally got a, a, diagnosis, a diagnosis for him when we were going on a, a permanent change of station, PCS, from Pensacola, Florida, up to, Pit, up, to uh, up to here to Norfolk. But we were going to stop back home in Pittsburgh to see the family before we moved in in Norfolk. Sure. Or Virginia Beach, actually. So... Mm-hmm. Um, he had had an infection on his knee, and I took him to the emergency room in Pittsburgh, and the doctor said it was a bad insect bite and, you know, it would be okay. But after a couple of days, it didn't get better. It was getting worse. So I took him to a pediatrician in Pittsburgh who um, said to me, you know, this child is three years old, but he acts more like an 18-month-old. You need to have him tested. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I was in Pittsburgh, uh, so I made an appointment and got in right away at Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh. And they told us that he was severely retarded, mm. which was the term they used in that day, in those mm. days. In a way, it was a relief because my fears were confirmed and at least I had some confirmation. On the other hand, um, it was difficult. My family was not 
I think they were very shocked and didn't know how to be supportive. They had never dealt with anybody with special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was told things like, oh, well, I, were, I always knew there was something wrong with him. Yeah. I thought, well, but you didn't tell me. No. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, I, I even had uh, someone close to me say, well, we just won't use the word retarded, which, you know, now I, I'm happy people don't use that word, but like, we're not going to talk about this. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, yeah. we're just not going to talk about it. Yeah. And so I didn't have backup support that way. And then, right. of course, we and, moved. And people didn't probably know how to give you backup support. Exactly. Let me exactly. ask you one question, because I know, and we're going to get into this further, and I don't want to stop your flow of thought, but you're experienced in this area now, and you're an advocate uh, for your son, but also for um, others as well. Mm-hmm. And you've written in this area and studied mm-hmm. in this area. So is it your experience that a lot of people have struggle in those first few years when, when for whatever reason, doctors fail to recognize the, uh, you know, that there's something different at this point well, with your child? Um, yeah, I think I think things are better now um, in recognizing that there's something different because now we have kids admitted into even preschool with special needs. Mm-hmm. However, pinpointing exactly what that is and how it should be handled and how it should be treated um, and finding the resources. Um, I'm in a group on Facebook for parents of adults with special needs. And the stories I read break my heart because they are people, particularly like in rural areas or small towns, that don't have resources. And, That's right. yeah. and, and so it's, it's a difficult kind of situation. Of course, children age um, and change as they age, too, um, and need different do. things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they need different kinds That's of things. Right. And it's, right. it's really difficult. Well, let me ask you one other thing. Are there other resources for friends and for other family members besides the immediate family that um, today that they have, because uh, let's assume that, that things have gotten better. We, I don't know that they have, but if they have, are there resources for them? So people can know how to talk about it, what to say, how to help, places to go, that kind of thing. Number one, I would say, is the incredibly obvious, and that is to get to know the person with a disability, spend some time with the family, mm-hmm. um, and ask the parents what is it that you need from us? Mm. How can we help you? You know, it's like when uh, in the funeral kind of situation where everybody says, let me know if I can help. Yeah. Well, you know. They don't really mean it. <laughs> that, well, you know, the idea is, what do you need from me? I may need you to stay with my child for a couple of hours a week so I can get grocery shopping done without sure. having to take him or something something very basic. The other point is, is uh, we've got the Internet today. Google. There's all kinds of resources for that. Um, There's also the ARC, A-R-C, used to be called way back in the day, the Association for Retarded Citizens. Today it's just called the ARC, and they are a fountain of resources for anyone who wants to. You can go on their website and find all kinds of things, and there are ARCs in many cities you're in pennsylvania okay so we're in pennsylvania we had him uh-huh. tested we got this information of course then we head to norfolk because this my son's 
dad had to, you know, report for duty. And so I started exploring things around here. I got in touch with uh, different organizations. We found a preschool for a couple of days a week, half day, that was um, volunteer run. Um, I was referred to a medical doctor who told me just to put my son into St. Mary's Infant Home and forget about, about him because that's what a lot of people who are prominent in Norfolk did and just pay attention to my older son. He um, then went to a wonderful day program, a preschool program uh, that, again, the city eventually picked up but was run at a local church. Um, And then comes time um, for him to go to school. And I'm looking around here and I didn't see any schools that, you know, would be able to take him. And with the help of the Navy and the city, we sent him to Devereux School in Pennsylvania, eastern Pennsylvania, for two years between he was seven and nine. And that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life, to have a seven-year-old. But um, that funding ended uh, when he was going on 10. We had to bring him home. He really benefited from it. He learned some social skills. He learned some, you know, really better ways of interacting with people. Mm Um, so he's been in public school from 10 to age 22. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. Because you stay beyond 18. Mm -hmm. Um, you're allowed to stay, um, past your, right before your 22nd birthday. Right. Right. In public school. How was the family? How did they adjust to this whole thing? I'm still learning that. You know how you talk to your adult children and you hear stories and things that you never heard? You know, suddenly you're around the Thanksgiving table and they're talking. Remember that time? I wait, I didn't know about that. So I think it has made them profoundly more caring and aware of people in general Uh and and the things that people go through in life. Mm -hmm. I have one son who has two brilliant sons, but both have attention deficit disorder. Mm -hmm. I have uh, another son who has two sons, and the youngest, who is now six, was born deaf. Oh, wow. And at age two, he got cochlear implants. Mm -hmm. He's now in public school. Wow. And he is the highest reader in his kindergarten classes. Wow. That's beautiful. So, you know, special needs are still very much a part of our lives for all of us. So you're back here Mm -hmm. now in Norfolk, Mm -hmm. and he's in school, Mm -hmm. and your other kids are doing well. Mm -hmm. And what happened next in your life? Well, Christopher graduates from high school, and I have a job, and I'm going, well, what next? Because... I can't keep, I have no family in the area mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. So I decided the I decided that I needed to find some place that would be suitable for him to live and work and so forth. And at that time the only option and it looked like a good one at the time was out in Zunai. They had Virginia, they had a school called Zunai Presbyterian Training Center. And so it was really the old-fashioned type of thing. As you said, it wasn't quite institution, but it was, in in a way, institution. But yeah. he, he was four years there, and then a, a community home opened up. And so that's where he was placed, and he's been in a community home ever since, living okay. in the community. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Place. This was, this is permanent for yes. most people. And mm-hmm. he started out in one with 12 residents. Mm-hmm. 
And then Medicare comes in and says, you can't, or Medicaid, you can't do that anymore. You cannot have more than, you know, you can't have these numbers wow. in one place because that is like an institution. You know, oh, okay. the whole deinstitutionalization movement started right after the civil rights movement started. I didn't they know kind that. of paralleled okay. as they, they went along with more and more rights for people. Okay. And so they're saying, you know, this, um, and, and and the problem with deinstitutionalization is they they did it too fast. They just closed things down, gave people a bus ticket to the next city, and said, "Here you go." You know, so yeah. that's not what deinstitutionalization it meant. It meant you have to build up your community resources and serve people in their own communities. Mm-hmm. So then um, the city also came out with an ordinance that you could not have more than five unrelated people living in a house. Mm-hmm. And so he is now in a uh, four-bedroom home in a very nice neighborhood. Oh, he wow. has three other adult men who mm-hmm. live there also, and it's staffed 24-7. Okay. Oh, that's great. That's good. Now, let's take a, a look at the rest of your life. Among other things, you went back to school. I did. I decided after my last son, the fourth son, uh, was in first grade. I thought, yippity do! I don't have to be at home at noon anymore for anybody <laughs> for, for all my life. So I spent the first year kind of playing, you know, Bible study, jazzercise, whatever I wanted to do. It was wonderful not to have to be home at noon every day. Um, but then I started knowing I wanted more, and I decided that I really had been through so much with Christopher that I wanted to help other parents. I wanted to be a resource to other parents. Mm -hmm. And um, so not knowing what that was going to look like, I went back to school at what was then CBA University Mm -hmm. and got my master's um, in education, but with a focus on counseling. And um, I got a job with Norfolk Community Services Board And I then decided I really wanted to teach at the university level. So then I went to Old Dominion University, and I got my doctorate from Old Dominion. And from there, I worked in Norfolk schools for a time. Uh, And then I was offered a job at still CBN University, which eventually changed to Regent University. And I spent 23 years at Regent University. Oh, wow. And 19 of them as as the dean of the School of Psychology and Counseling. So you're now Dean Emeritus of the School of Psychology and Counseling. Yeah, now I I can use the library. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, and I've written... Well, that's better than me. So just so you all know, we were uh, colleagues at the same university. She was in the School of Counseling and uh, Psychology and Counseling. I was the School of Communication mm-hmm. at the same time. Right. For part of that anyway. Yeah. And I did, you know, I, I found the way that I was able to help parents, you know, you, you never know, you never know how the path of life will take you was by writing books. Mm-hmm. I was at a counseling conference. And I saw a whole line of a series of books that was meant for, you know, classroom use uh, mm-hmm. at the grad level, counseling this and counseling that, and counseling anxiety, counseling depression. And I looked through this series of books and I went up to the publisher and God only knows what 
impelled me to do this, but I said to the rep, I said, you don't have one on counseling people with families with special needs. I said, oh, no, we don't. Okay. So I walked away and then I thought, no, that's not enough. I went back, gave him my card. I said, I'd really like to look into doing this. And um, okay. So I get a call one day and um, the phone rang and, you know, when you had call waiting and Mm -hmm. so forth, well, one of the kids was on the phone. So he took the call, went back to his own call. Oh, no. (laughs) Is the joys of having children. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so he comes to me and he says, Mom, a guy called Gary Collins called oh while my. I was on the phone. He, he wants you to call him back. Now, Gary Collins was very well known in the field sure, of counseling, one of the pioneers uh, and an editor of this whole series. Oh, wow. So I said, what? hung <laughs> up on Gary Collins. <laughs> So Gary was gracious enough to take my call, and he said to me, what do you want to do? And I told him what I wanted to do, and he said, "Um, well, send me a sample chapter. Oh, wow. So I did. And, of course, those days we were using snail mail for everything, right? right? That's right. And my chapter comes back with with, uh, Gary's very neat, very precise red ink Mm. all over my chapter. Of course. (laughs) And I read it, and I thought... Okay, he has done me a great favor. He's given me yes. a writing course right yeah. here. Yeah. So I rewrote it, sent it back, gave him outlines of the other chapters, and he said, go for it. So that was the first book I had published. Yeah. And I've published um, two others since in the field of special needs, and then one I published in collaboration with, at that time, guidance counselor director at Norfolk Public Schools, for children on um, classroom exercises on uh, peer relationships and uh, decision-making, leadership kind of things sure, that kids sure. still need today. So you've got four books. Four books published and That's tons of articles. Yeah. yeah, I've done tons of articles and tons of presentations all over the world. So mm-hmm. I, I really had a wonderful career. Well, that's great. That's great. Tell us about your uh, your kids today. Well, my kids today are, I, I hate to tell people how they say, how old are your children? And I'll say, okay, I will tell you, but you have to realize I'm married when I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I have a son um, who's in Charlottesville, Virginia, and he has two wonderful teenage daughters. Uh-huh. I have a son in Canton, Ohio, with two the lovely wife and two wonderful boys. And then I have a son in Nashville who also has a wonderful um, wife. Uh, I call these women my daughters in love yeah. because they're so great. And he has um, two little boys. And uh, I also have a granddaughter who is married and living in Mississippi. Oh, wow. And I have some stepchildren and grandchildren um, from my second marriage, and they live in Maine and Maryland. Wow, so you got the you, you can go all over the place. I can visit everywhere I want, right? <laughs> How is your son doing, Christopher? Christopher. Christopher, you know, people assume that when people have an intellectual disability that they can only go so far as far as education and understanding. But when given the right prompts and given the right attention, he continues to grow. He continues to learn new skills. He continues to... Um, He's, he's verbal, of course, um, mm-hmm. but he's probably operates at about a five- and six-year-old level. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but he continues to learn. I bring him over here at Westminster Canterbury. A lot of people know him and ask about him because I'll bring him over to stay the weekend. Oh, and um, he loves everybody. He loves being here, mm-hmm. and he makes he's very social, greets everybody. How are you? How are you doing? Nice to see you. He has very nice manners, mm-hmm. and we just have a good old time. We shoot pool or play ping pong or pickleball and croquet or whatever he likes to do, go yeah. to the pool. So yeah. he, we have a good time when he's here. Oh, that's wonderful. This has been a, a very interesting life you've lived. and uh, <laughs> Interesting is a good word. <laughs> taking care of, uh, uh, um, you know, of four kids is challenging, but you have seemed to do so with a lot of grace and wisdom and also going on and getting your master's degree and then your PhD and then beyond that, writing and traveling, uh, as I know you continue to do. Yeah, now I don't have to speak anywhere. I can just go and enjoy. <laughs> well, you're speaking now. And <laughs> well, so this we'll is different. That. Yeah. yeah. I, I love doing this. Let me ask you a little bit about um, why is this topic of special needs important today? Well, number one, because we know that when kids have special needs and they get a good start, the earlier the better. Secondly, we have to be aware that you were asking what families and friends need to know. They need to know that once school is out, there are no laws obligating any kind of care anywhere. Now, most places, most cities have uh, states, have uh, a uh, department that deals with disabilities in some shape or form. And there are things available. There's Social Security disability that's available. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Medicare. But to actually find, if you'd like, I was very grateful that when the Medicaid waivers came out, that I was able to get one for Christopher early on. Um, and this pays for his a good deal for his housing and all the services he receives, like mm-hmm. his transportation back and forth to his day program, um, his day program that he is in. Mm-hmm. Um, those kinds of things are taken care of by the Medicaid waiver. And the rent he pays where he lives certainly doesn't cover everything. And mm-hmm. the Medicaid waiver pays a lot of those things. Wow. Um, so Is that available to anyone? Um, who qualifies, but there's a waiting list of about 10000 to get it. Yeah. So this is an area that that, uh, government could do better in. Definitely. And also residential. Finding a residential place uh, is difficult. You know, parents aren't going to live forever. No. And a lot of parents will just say, well, my son or daughter, they'll move them in. But they don't realize what taking in an adult with special needs, how that changes the dynamics of the family. It does. Tremendously. Mm Um, and that might not be the best solution. So you really have to, you know, there are waiting lists uh, in Virginia for residential services also. Yeah. There's waiting lists for everything. Especially in this area. So yes. this is a, an area we can, as the community, as we become aware of these uh, situations, that we begin to help our government officials address them. At least be aware. <laughs> At least be aware. Right. Yeah. yeah. Any other advice you want to give Um, our listeners about this whole topic, I guess. (laughs) Well, you know, in my book, Forever Parenting, I interviewed 15 different families and also told my own story. Each family handles the situation a little bit differently. Mm. Um, 
And one, for example, and we had a wonderful grant program at one time in Virginia, which has gone away, to enable families to buy a home for their person with special needs and then staff it. And using the person with disabilities funds, mm-hmm. you know, to do this and the waiver to do those kinds of things. Sure. We don't have, but uh, one of my families that I wrote about and the daughter has since deceased, mm-hmm. but they bought a home, mm-hmm. set it up full-time living caregiver it was an ideal situation mm-hmm. however one day the caregiver after eight years up and left leaving two senior parents mm-hmm. to bring back into their home someone who required lifting into a shower out of a shower into bed out of bed they actually had to bring someone in to open up the frames in the doorways in their houses in some room in their house in some rooms to allow the wheelchair to go through Um, and then eventually they found another person but that was like a three-month period in their lives and they were exhausted when it was done so you think you have an ideal solution and it can change at the drop of a hat yeah so your book the one you'd recommend of all the four that you wrote is forever parenting the voices of families of adults with disabilities it's the one still in print there you go well then that's the one you'd recommend that's the one i'd write and people who read it tell me it's very readable okay um so i'm i'm happy for that well we are happy for you uh, allowing us to interview and uh, for sharing your life and the life of your family with us and we do nothing but uh, have more respect and uh, love for you so thank you ben thank you so much i appreciate it We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Westminster Canterbury Tales podcast. Thank you for listening. 